so in case you haven't realised, uh, during the summer, so in December, uh, we've through to this morning, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this morning is our last one. And uh, we've had different different members of the congregation uh, speaking to us. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Now remember, Jesus is speaking. He's on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He says to, he's speaking to the people and he's saying, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Amen. Welcome, Tony. It's the first time Tony's done anything like this, and I know you'll be gracious and kind to him. So let's stand and pray for him. God, we bless you that you're a God who speaks to us. Jesus, we think of how you spoke to the people on the hillside of Galilee all those years ago, and the words that you spoke are still living words, they're active words, still at work in the world around about us. We thank you for the time that Tony has sat before you and these words and for what you have shown and put into him for this day. And we bless him in your name to bring forth your word as a living word by the power of the Holy Spirit for your honor and glory, God, we pray. Amen. All right, well, first, thank you, Wayne and Julie, for inviting me to participate in this um, teaching, this, this series of Sermon on the Mount. Um, by the grace of God, I'm hoping to, to bring a really good teaching for you and bring some conviction and some encouragement as well. So the title of today's teaching is Heed the Warnings of Jesus. Now, before I begin with today's teaching, I'd just like to make a few comments. Although Jesus is preaching to a large crowd of people, He's, his teaching is actually targeted to his disciples. 
at that time in the first century and also for all his disciples and future generations. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount describes the lifestyle and the culture of Jesus' kingdom. It's a standard that can only be upheld by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If Jesus' disciples uphold his standard, and if they walk in this lifestyle, they will stand out and they will be different from the rest of the culture, i.e., they will be holy people. To teenagers and young adults, I know from my younger days, there's always a temptation to want to fit in, to seek validation, to seek approval from others, but I want to encourage you to embrace holiness, to embrace the fact that you're called to be different and to, and to be set apart from this world and this culture. All right, so in today's teaching, we'll be working through the final 14 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapter 7. Um, this passage can actually be broken down into three sections. One, which is false prophets. Two, the day of judgment. And three, flimsy foundations. One of the things that New Life Church was encouraged to do during the series was to read the scriptures over and over so we could become more uh, familiar with them. After reading these particular sections over and over, I discovered that Jesus has a specific warning in each section. You see, Jesus is warning his disciples from a place of love and kindness. It's an act of love to warn someone when they're in danger. The concept of warning people is something that Jesus has been stirring in my heart, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. So let's have a, sec- let's have a look at section one. I encourage you to open your Bibles to verse 15. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or figs or, or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So then you will recognize them by their fruit. So in verse 15, Jesus is warning his disciples to watch out for false prophets, which are people who claim to speak on behalf of God, but they have not stood in God's presence and they have not been sent by God. Let's play a quick game. Can anyone find the wolf? Noah. That was quick. See it here? Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've got a quick story about this, this photo. Okay. When I searched online, I was looking for photos with sheep, um, of sheep in, wolf, in, in wolf's clothing. Sorry. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And what I discovered is there's a lot of photos there where the wolf really stands out. And also, the wolf is usually looking mean and ferocious. That's actually not the picture that Jesus is depicting when he's saying this. He's actually saying that false prophets will come disguise disguise the sheep, like this sheep here. They will appear nice and calm and gentle. But this deception is why Jesus is saying, beware, watch out. Now, false prophets might display kindness. They might display humility. They might be humorous. They might actually have exceptional charisma. They may quote Bible verses, and they might speak... Nice religious language, Christianese. False prophets present themselves well, but inwardly they have bad intentions and impure motives in their hearts. 
They use the prophetic ministry for personal gain, not for the glorification of God. Some examples of impure motives are financial gain, uh, selfish ambition, self-glorification, or even in a predatory way for sexual gratification. Now, all of these lead to the false prophet using and abusing Jesus' disciples. Over time, some prophetic ministries have dared to charge a fee to give out a prophetic word, basically fortune-telling. We know how God feels about fortune-telling. Some self-proclaimed prophets are still claiming that Donald Trump won the presidential election in 2020. We know that's not the case. But what they say is, in heaven, he's the president. Obviously, false prophecy. And sadly, in the past 20 to 30 years, there's been a a, a sad correlation in the church between the prophetic ministries and sexual abuse. Now, when the church doesn't hold prophetic people accountable, it causes major damage in the body of Christ. It causes mock and scorn from unbelievers. It causes disappointment and delusionment. It causes reproach to Jesus' name. And it causes many souls to be abused. And worst of all, it causes people to walk away from Jesus. Now, if anyone here has experienced sexual abuse, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Jesus has been misrepresented to you. Um, Jesus would never authorize that type of behavior. And my plea to you is don't walk away from Jesus. Don't let a human, a fallen human cause you not to experience the love, the joy, the healing that Jesus has for you. So how do we avoid deception? We observe actions. Jesus is saying we need to do a fruit inspection. He's saying that observing fruit, i.e. observing actions and behavior in a person's life is the best way to evaluate them. I don't think Jesus wants us to walk around being suspicious of everyone, but I do believe he wants us to assess and inspect the fruit, just like you would at a supermarket. If you go to a fruit and veg place, you don't just grab fruit and put it in your bag. You actually look at it. You assess it to see if there's any bumps and bruises. You check to see if there's any signs of it being rotten. In the same way, Jesus is exhorting his disciples to assess the fruit their prophets are producing. Real prophets produce good fruits, like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This principle of assessing fruit also applies to false teachers and to all disciples. All disciples should be showing good fruit, bearing good fruit. Now, the second requirement is discernment, to discern fruit. It's important because it helps to identify error and avoid deception. You You see, prophecy is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' disciples are encouraged to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy to serve others. The Bible exhorts Jesus' disciples not to reject prophecies, but to test all things and hold fast to what is good. The great thing about discernment, I'm sorry, we need discernment in order to test the things of the Spirit. So the great thing about discernment is that it can be developed through committed study of the Word of God. There's an old saying that says, we need to get into God's Word, And we need to get God's word into us. When discerning a prophetic message, a few good questions to ask is, does this message bring glory to Jesus? Is it scriptural? Does it align with scripture? Or does this message edify 
encourage or warn believers or disciples. Now, we can pray and ask God for discernment as well. A good passage to pray that we do at, um, here at New Life is Philippians 1, chapter 9. Sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Now this I pray, that your love might overflow still more and more in knowledge and depth of discernment. Finally, discernment is important because Jesus has made it very clear that there will be an influx, an increase of false prophets and deception before his return. Now, to summarize the, uh, the number one warning, Jesus is saying, beware of people among you who claim to speak on behalf of God with nice-sounding words. Evaluate these people by their actions. Warning number two, Judgment Day. Starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all of these wonderful, powerful deeds in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you lawbreakers. These statements from Jesus were extremely shocking to me as a new disciple. As most of you know, I come from America, from the southern states, pretty much in the Bible Belt. And going to church every Sunday is a cultural norm for us. It seemed like everybody went to church. Now, this cultural norm can often foster a deceptive mindset that since you're a churchgoer, you've got a ticket to heaven. But that's not the case. So you can imagine how, I, how shocked I was after reading these words, because from my perspective, I was saying, God, these people are doing all these wonderful deeds, and you're rejecting them? I go to church every Sunday. I sing in the choir. What about me? If you're rejecting them, what are you going to do to me? I was shaken to the core, and this warning really caused me to tremble. But this is what I didn't understand. You know, the Bible talks about in all you're getting, all you're acquiring, get understanding. What I didn't understand is going to church for 17 years every Sunday, just because my parents made me do it, didn't guarantee that I was getting into God's kingdom. Also, you don't enter God's kingdom just because your parents are Christians. I heard a really good statement by a preacher that says, God has no grandchildren. It's a good statement, if, if you understand the point. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You can't get in off the back of your parents. To become a disciple of Jesus, or a child of God, a person must enter into a blood covenant relationship through Jesus. You have to make a personal choice to meet God's conditions. You have to repent. What does that mean? You're going this way? You need a course correction. You do a total 180. You repent of your sins. Repentance means you abandon those sins. You don't just say, I'm sorry, one time, and then keep doing the same thing. You turn around. You go the opposite way. You go the way that leads to life. Secondly, you must put your trust in the Lord Jesus and what he has done. He is the Lord, the King of glory. If he is your Lord, your supreme purpose should be to please him. So if you're looking to please him, you will get baptized. That's just going to happen. That's what he's called us all to do. The last thing you have to do is that you have to be born again. 
God will put, give you a new heart and a new spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if a person does not have the spirit of Christ in him, he does not belong to him. You have to be born again as well. So every person has to make this intentional choice of following Jesus, of, of, of having life through Jesus. Now, you might notice that I've got scales on this slide as well. I put these scales here for a reason. Many people believe that both many um, religious and secular people believe, and they have this idea that if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, God will let them into heaven. They have this, I'm a good person mindset. They may, they may even have good morals. They might be really moral people. There's a belief that, it, that if they've lived a good life without committing any egregious sin like murder or rape, things like this, they deserve to go to heaven if, when they die. Basically a merit point system. But this is a very grave error. You see, good people don't get into heaven. Redeemed people, people who've been made holy by Jesus, get into his kingdom. Not good people. People generally believe they're, they're a good person, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you this. But you hardly ever hear anyone say, I'm a holy person. But we know that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So our bad deeds need to be blotted out. It's no scales like that. Your deeds have to be blotted out by the blood of Jesus, and the good deeds of Jesus' disciples will be tested with fire. And if they remain, Jesus will reward them. That's actually how judgment goes. Now, back to the passage. The first key point is that Jesus the Savior is also Jesus the judge. Not God the Father, Jesus, the Son of Man, the divine human, the one that can relate to our weakness, the one who was mocked and scorned on the cross, the one who's being mocked even now in our contemporary culture. He's the judge. Imagine how shocked people will be when they see him on the throne. In fact, it's so important that Jesus commanded his apostles to proclaim that he's the judge in their gospel message. In Acts chapter 10, Peter declared, Jesus commanded us to proclaim to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. In Acts chapter 17, Paul declared, God calls all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's chosen a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by a man he's appointed. Judgment should be included in our gospel presentation because this is why people must repent. The second and most shocking aspect of this passage is that Jesus is rejecting amazingly gifted people who call him Lord. His words are, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. Now imagine if that were you. Imagine you've done all of these wonderful things and you're expecting to go into heaven. You're standing before, the, before Jesus on the day of judgment and you hear those words. I never knew you. Jesus reveals the reason why he doesn't know these spiritually gifted people. Because they're lawbreakers. You see, this statement echoes back earlier to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 517 where Jesus said, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill them. 
In another passage, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? So this leads to two very sobering questions. What does it mean to know Jesus? And does Jesus know me? Jesus' apostles want us to examine and test ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. Now, I found that one book in the Bible is very good to test if I'm truly walking in the faith, which is 1 John. For people who don't like to read, it's only five chapters. I strongly encourage you to read it, though. Test yourself by what John is saying. So in 1 John chapter, chapter 2, he provides the acid test of what it means to know Jesus. He says, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. The truth is not in him. The other question is, does Jesus know us? Jesus made this very clear in a simple statement to his, to his disciples. He said, you are my friends if you obey my commands. That's an if in them. Not only does Jesus want us to, to know him, but he desires friendship through love-based obedience. So the principle in this slide behind me is that we know Jesus better, and Jesus knows his disciples if they're habitually obeying his commandments. Now, this principle of obedience ties back into the original passage where Jesus said, only the one who does the will of my father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus just didn't, he didn't just preach it. He walked it out in his life as well. We know before he was crucified in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, not your will, not my will, Lord, father, but your will be done. In another instance, Jesus was hungry and thirsty when he encountered the woman at the well. His disciples had just come back to him with food, and Jesus declared to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was his heart. So to summarize section two, the warning from Jesus is a day of judgment is approaching. It's coming. Only those who habitually do what God wants will enter the kingdom. Warning number three, flimsy foundations. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and its collapse was great. So finally, in this last section, Jesus contrasts a wise person with a foolish person. The foolish person hears Jesus' message, but he fails to obey it. Consequently, the storm destroyed his house because the foundation was weak and flimsy. The wise person, on the other hand, has established a good and firm foundation that could withstand the storm because he listened to and he obeyed Jesus' teaching. Now, Jesus warned his disciples in Galilee back then, 
on that day, and the warning is still valid. The storms are coming, and they come in many different forms. For example, we have natural storms, such as extreme weather events, torrential rain, floodwaters, like we see over east, cyclones, relationship storms, such as divorce, rebellious children, family conflict. We have various life storms, like rising interest rates, sickness, and disease. Then we have the end of the age storms, persecution, legislation against Christian values, and finally God's judgment. To summarize section three, Jesus declares the storms in life are coming. Be wise and build a firm foundation by obeying Jesus to endure the storms. As we wrap up, this um, Sermon on the Mount series, I just want to leave with you the same questions that I've asked myself. Do I discern uh, false prophets? Does Jesus know me? And am I ready to face him on the day of judgment? Is the foundation of my life built on obeying Jesus? And finally, what I'll leave with you is a, a quick poem from uh, C.T. Stutter, just a few verses that I think is really uh, relevant for this situation. You only have one life. It soon will be passed. Only what you do for Christ will last. Amen.